Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. We should be moving on to chapter 15, but instead of doing so, the pastors here, we thought it'd be good to kind of do a quick recap over chapters 11 through 14 as we've looked at the kind of the the manifestations of the spirit section, the kind of the order section of of Corinthians. That being said, as much as I'd love to cover everything, I'm going to kind of treat this message today a lot like we treat snacks at our home. If you're a parent, you've given your kids a snack, what's one of the things they always say right after they finish the snack? I'm still hungry, right? So we adopted what Jen's grandpa said a long time ago. I'm not trying to to fill you. I'm just trying to keep you alive. And so that's what we're going to do today is I'm not going to be able to fill your bucket on everything that we need to know regarding the manifestations of the Holy Spirit and how this plays out. I hope at the end of today, we can kind of work our way into understanding how this is supposed to work inside of this church and outside of this church. And as we go that way with some kind of some healthy boundaries, order and such, since God is a God of order. So let's move on. So this is one of those books, again, there are issues galore in the Church of Corinth. The letter was written to the Church in Corinth on response to a bunch of issues that were brought to them. So I'm not even going to hit all the issues prior, but in 11 through 14, some of the issues that the church in Corinth was having, they were having authority issues. They didn't understand the headship of Christ and how it worked with inside the family dynamic. They were struggling with doing communion where it was a socioeconomic divide. There was divisions in the church, not only behind who they follow, but in practice and socioeconomic and racial. They were valuing one manifestation of the Holy Spirit over others. They had people operating like pagan religion into the church and it was just, it was just a mess. They had big issues recognizing that they needed to be loving in spite of all of this stuff, meaning we can't have the Holy Spirit manifest himself through us and completely ignore the fact that we are to be loving. An entire chapter was on that. And then they had, then chapter 14 hit this idea of how we are to do tongues and prophecy in order, and then also the dynamic of women in the gathering place. I want to kind of talk about a few of these things before we get into our three-point sermon. Yes, if you're a note-taker, you're going to have three points. That's fun, right? Something different. In the gathering, a couple things that we could know going through is in all these issues, we have to pay attention to both culture and context to an extent. Again, Danny talked about prescriptive and, and descriptive. I would encourage you to just go back and listen to that a couple weeks ago. But we have to understand some of these issues that were, that were brought up were causing all sorts of issues in the overarching order of the church, the gathering. And that's what he's talking about. When it came to women like John did last week, he talked about it. It was really, really great. Covered the Greek, did a lot of stuff. Again, I would encourage you to go back and listen or read the scriptures for yourself as well. But one of the things that we know in the scriptures, there was some kind of issue with women in the gathering. Now, scholars are all over the board on the context of this, okay? Some will say that it's because they ordered the church like they did in the synagogue, where the men were on one side and the women were on the other side, and women were yelling across to try and ask questions of their husbands. That's that's very possible. Some scholars believe it's that the women were trying to discern or interpret the prophecies that were coming. That's very possible. Some were saying that women were 
were just chatty Cathy's in this, uh, the gathering and they were just talking, all very possible. That being said, in case you guys are wondering, men have the same issue, okay? They have the same issue. What we know from this scripture, we don't know which one it is, but what we can know for sure is that they knew which one it is. Because if it was something that he was worried about them potentially not knowing what the issue was, he would have spent some time explaining what the issue is. Like when you do this, and this is what it means. And so there was a concept that was culture that we just are not going to get there. We're not going to understand that. But one thing, and John covered this last week, I thought he did a great job with it. One thing we can know for sure is that whatever the issue was, the people in Corinth knew it. The Apostle Paul knew it. Chloe, when she sent the question over, knew it. The response that the Apostle Paul, inspired by God, gives in 34b begins as in all the churches. So he's saying, look, this is what all the churches are to look like. Here's how it's struggling in Corinth, okay? And so there's all these issues that are derived of kind of like, this is what's going on. And all these issues are around the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, as we would call it, gifts. I could talk today about a number of other issues around our culture and context, like if God were to write it today, he'd probably include computers and social media and a bunch of other things. We just don't have time, so I'm gonna move on and go from there. A couple important things that we have established through chapters 11 to 14 that are important for us to know as we get to the real practical how. Okay, this is one of the downsides to teaching scripture just going straight through is that like sometimes you hit a verse and then three months later you hit another verse. We've been in Corinthians for over a year. It's hard. This letter was meant to be read in one setting and talked about in that way. So sometimes we can establish something early on and then a few months later forget that that all goes together. A couple things that we established in this. First off is the word spiritual gift. In the text where we see spiritual gift in the New Testament, gift is an added word. It's actually never in there. Gift is a made-up word that we put in to give us context. It really is just spiritual. And that's important for us to understand, specifically around when we think about we possess the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit possesses us. We don't get to own the Holy Spirit. He's not ours to kind of do with as we will. He possesses us. He works through us in submission to him. It's him doing it, not us. When the word spiritual shows up in the scriptures, it usually means coming from the Spirit of God. So these things, these so-called gifts that we have are all things that come from the Spirit of God, which is why the word manifestation is in the Scripture. Manifestation is just things the Spirit does. So when we say manifestation of the Holy Spirit, it's that this is the, this is the understanding that we have in the context of 11 through 14, that this is a work that the Spirit does. He's the one that makes it happen. He's the one that we submit to. And of every single spiritual manifestation that we see in the Scriptures, whether it's in the list of Corinthians or Romans or Ephesians, every single one of them, we can see Jesus model in his life in the gospels. He models every single one of them. And that's important for us to remember because there's that scene, right, where, where Jesus is getting baptized by John the Baptist. The skies part and Morgan Freeman's voice calls down, this is my son, right? Like that's how I always envision it, right? And the spirit of God descends like a dove, descends on Jesus. And then the very next verse, Jesus compelled by the spirit, led by the spirit. And then he goes into the wilderness, he comes out, and then it says, all the ministry that Jesus does is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, I don't have time to go back and talk about it. We talked about it in chapter 12 a little bit. Jesus submits himself to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is who manifests himself through, the, through Jesus. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus. That's how he accomplishes all those things while on earth. Again, we don't possess the spirit, he possesses us. 
we see in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, it says that all these are empowered by one and the same spirit. So of all the manifestations that we have, they're all empowered by the same and one spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, not as I want, as he wills. So it's the spirit's will that manifests himself in our life. It's his doing that manifests in our life. We get hung up on naming our gifts. The thing we really need to get hung up on is are we doing what we can do to strengthen the faith of the people around us. That's really what we need to be hung up on. God created us, he knows us, and we are accountable to be us, not someone else. We're gonna stand in front of God one day and he's not gonna go, Bren, I really wish you were more like John. He's gonna say, Bren, here's what I created you to be. You need to give an account to what I created you to be for you, not under someone else. So we're individual, we're important. If you look at the study of the manifestations of the Spirit, whether it's 1 Corinthians or Romans or in Ephesians, all of them are there. Here's the thing. Every list is not ordered the same, and ones are missing from each list, which leads most scholars to believe that of the lists we have, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, it's not an exhaustive list, that the Spirit is going to manifest himself in other ways in believers. Now, I understand there's a, wait, does that mean anything can be manifestation of the Spirit? Yes, and how we know if it is of the Spirit, it's really easy. We know it's not a talent. It's not just man doing it. When God does uncommon things in the common world for the common good of the church, when something that seems normal and the Spirit does something uncommon, that's the Spirit working. That's how we know it. And so that's the really quick few things we need to remember. If you want to Listen to some more, go back to the podcast, or please go study the scripture. It's really, really wonderful. There are three things that we are going to do to try and establish as boundaries for us as a church and how we are going to move forward in in practicing these manifestations of the Spirit. These are three things. They're they're not all of them. It's just a few that we're going to do, and I'm going to dig into each one, hopefully, without rushing through it, but I really want us to grab this. Again, at the end of the day, there's still more, but this is where it is. The first one is that we need to be dependent. If we are going to be people that submit ourselves to the Spirit and submit ourselves to His working, then it takes not a slight dependence, but immense dependence. We can't do it on ourselves. We can't do it on our own. It's Him that, we, that does it through us. So we have to be completely dependent on Him. One of the ways that we are dependent on Him is through prayer. Prayer is one of those things that Jesus modeled. You saw it over and over again in his life. We see in scripture over and over again that we are to pray without ceasing, that we are to be in communion with the Lord. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'll just say this. If you aren't spending much time in prayer with God, then you're showing that you believe you're dependent on something else other than him. If the only times you go to God are for meals to bless some food that doesn't really need to be blessed in that way, or because you're having a hard time and you want him to get you out, you're saying that I only need to go to God for these reasons, but he has no play in the rest of my life. To understand how to walk in the spirit as you live in the spirit so that the spirit can manifest himself, we have to be dependent on God. The primary way we show dependence on God is prayer. It's being before the Lord, listening to him, hearing him speak. We have to be a people that spend time in prayer, not just talking at God, but time sitting and being still and knowing that he is God, letting him speak to you. He's speaking. And one of the primary ways he speaks to us, not the only way, but one of the primary ways he speaks to us is the second thing under dependence, and that's scripture. He speaks to us through scripture. So if you're here today and you're a child of God, you submitted your life to him and you spend zero time in scripture, I'm telling you, you are anemic. How are we ever going to see the spirit manifest himself through us if we don't understand the order with which he does it in scripture? whether it's prescriptive or descriptive. We don't see God's ways of doing things. We're left on our own accord to try and decide what it is. 
If you're just reading about scripture through someone else's words or just through someone else talking about it, guys, that's not the primary way you should be in scripture. You should be in scripture individually. The word is living and active. God is wanting to speak to you and he has scriptures for this. Guys, I can't tell you how many times I've done something in my life or I've said something and someone's like, well, you know, the scripture says this. And it's like, oh, you're right. That's silly. Why was I thinking it wasn't that way? Like we need to be in scripture and not just to, okay, I got my Bible plan done, but like literally going to the scripture and saying, God, speak to me. It's living and active. Submit me to it. Show me what I'm missing. Help me see it through the life of Joseph or Moses or any of these other people. Let me see what your will is for my life. Guys, it's in the scripture. It's in God's word. It's living and active. You wanna see yourself dependent on God. If you are not in prayer and you are not reading scripture, guys, you are showing in action that you have no dependence on God. Again, that's maybe not what you believe and I don't mean that to be too harsh, but this is how we see our dependence play out is in the time we spend communing with God. It should be something that is not just a daily routine, but something that is just continually coming in and out of us. You know, one of the ways that James talks about prayer is breathing. Prayer should just be a breathing. It's like in and out. Take it in, God. Speak to me. Okay, let me share what you're showing me. Does this make sense? We should be just, prayer and, and scripture should just be so woven in, into our lives that when it comes time for the spirit to manifest himself, we A, know God's voice in it, and B, know his will in it through his word. The third way that we can be dependent on God is in community. This one seems really obvious, but I really, really want to kind of hammer this one for a second because I think there's this like, in this culture, there's like this Chuck Norris Christian idea, which maybe I used the wrong person for this age group. But either way, it's this idea that I can do it all by myself. I don't need a church. I don't need a community. I can just do this all by myself. That is a fallacy and that is not the way that God saved you. There are 59 one another commands in the New Testament alone. That's a command that's expected when you're with one another. The scriptures teach where two or more gathered, he is there. That's the church operating, whether it's in gospel communities or it's in, in the big gathering church. The community is needed. Let me tell you how it was needed in my life. For the longest time, I've always been an annoying optimist. That's the way I've explained it. I'm just an annoying optimistic person. A brother of mine that knew me well confronted me on that and said, Brent, I wanna just challenge you on your optimism. Like, yes, you might be optimistic, but at times I've seen that play out as faith. There was a manifestation of the spirit in me that I had no idea was a spirit because I had needed a community, a brother that knew me well enough to say, Brent, you're wrong. Now, what would be really wrong for me to be like, well, I'm a man of faith. Watch out, people. Everything I say is faithful. I just tried to take ownership again. But he said, look, this is the way that God does it. Community, discipleship, people pushing into you, people rebuking and encouraging and admonishing and exhorting. That's what this is supposed to do. Iron sharpens iron. Scripture after scripture after scripture talks about how we are to do this together. If the primary purpose, the purpose of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is to build the church, how are you gonna do that by yourself? Doesn't make much sense. Now, I will say this. I'm sure some of you have some exceptions. Like, do you remember this one story and so-and-so? Yes, I'm sure there's exceptions. God is amazing and he can work through anything. But that's not the point. The point is community. The point is to do it together. The last one, independence, is one I have to spend a little bit more time on, specifically because these two words are polarizing. It's authority and submission. Those are two words that everyone loves, right? So first off, if we're gonna show dependence on God, we have to establish a couple things around this. First off, that God is the authority and that we are to submit to him. I gotta, I gotta start there. No matter what authority structure happens on this world or that we see in the scriptures, at the end of the day, everyone is to submit themselves wholly, completely to the authority of God. Now, since these are two words that tend to be polarizing, I'm, I'm saddened by it because in scripture, they're really beautiful words. We just have unfortunately seen it done really poorly. I have to define them a little bit before we talk about how this plays out for us. Authority, there are a few cultural pitfalls I want to remind us of that make us doubt authority. First off, biblically, authority is not only for the competent. 
I gotta say that because so often we think, well, someone has to be completely competent to be in authority. Well, look at Moses. By his own mouth, he was like, I am not competent. So God can do amazing things through very incompetent people. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't apply for competence, but it's not, authority does not mean competence alone. Also, biblically, just because an authority structure has been misused in the past, which I am sure every single one of us have more than a handful of stories, does not mean that we should run from authority. Just because it's been misused in the past in your life, whether it's in your marriage, in a church, in the government, whatever it is, does not mean that those are null and void and they don't matter. Scripture continues to push on us that authority is there. Next one is authority is not tied to value. This one's important because I think a lot of people who are in authority find their value in that position, which is really wrong. I've seen many pastors like that they've gotten they've, those two tied together. When something goes wrong, their, their identity crushes. It's like, no, your identity is in Christ, not in what you do. And then secondly, if you are not in an authority position, it does not mean you are any less valuable. That is nowhere in scripture. Authority does not equal value, okay? It's just a, it's just a role in there. The next one that I think is important for us to establish, unfortunately in the church, is that authority does not mean submit at all costs, okay? I know that there are people that have misused scripture. They've abused scripture. They've used it to perpetuate abuse. And I just want to say this really quickly. That is a pathetic person to use scripture to abuse someone else. There is no place in God's church for that, none. So if you are being abused and the person is hiding behind scripture, seek help, please. Seek help from the authorities, come to the church, let us walk with you. That is not God's will for authority. If I say any more, I'll probably sin, so I'm not gonna go on, okay? That being said as well, people have used authority to cause others to sin, and the scriptures are very clear. Don't submit to that. Don't submit to that. If he, they're asking you to walk in sin, that is not your, you are be, first and foremost, your priority is God and his authority. These are secondary authorities, all of them underneath God's authority, okay? So please don't, don't do that. The problem with our culture is a lot of times, even if you look at our political system, we model this idea that when you don't like authority, just fight against it and vote for someone else. And that seeps its way, unfortunately, into scripture. And that's just not biblical here. Now, I understand in politics and all those other ways, I understand that that can happen. But we have to understand that authority in God's eyes is a beautiful thing. Just because of these misuses doesn't mean it. I'm gonna move on. The Bible has clear authority order. Not because of the system that we have culturally. I've heard a lot of people say, well, authority structure, specifically in the home or in the church, that's because it's all tied in the Old Testament to a patriarchal system. We have to be really careful when we say that because that's to believe that God, when he was creating, looked on the shelves and went, ah, oh, only got a patriarchal system, so I'm gonna go ahead and create it that way. No, when he created it, it was good. And it was his creation and it was order. And if you look all the way back in the garden in Genesis 1, it's all good. And there is authority and there's structure and there's boundaries and it's beautiful. Sin mucks that up. Sin is what messes it up. Authority is good. We talked a lot about this at the beginning of chapter 11 and I don't have time to cover it. If you want, you can go back and listen to the podcast. It was in November or read it again and look into it. But I wanna just real quickly say in, in authority, a lot of times what people struggle with, especially when we think about male and women, which I'll talk about more later. And this is something I said back in chapter 11. A lot of times people will struggle because they'll say men really are either very domineering or they're super passive. And it's like, what's going on? Well, both of those are effect of the fall. Both of those are effect of the fall. You realize that that's not the way God created it. That's a effect of the fall. As is in the women, if you look in Genesis 3 and you read right after the fall and everything that happens, what is her desire to usurp the authority of the men? That's an effect of the fall as well. Let me say this really clearly. When authority is done well, which is very rare, but when it is done well, everyone, the person in authority and the person underneath it, thrive. Everyone has equal value. Everyone has equal purpose, different roles but everyone thrives. There's authority. A couple scriptures 
that talk about this that are really, really important for us to see. Romans 13, one kind of B says, for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. He's allowed the people in the position they're in to be in it, or he's placed them in there. Either way, God is sovereign over it. And he's saying, this is instituted by me. So when you're, uh, you're pushing against these authority structures, which this one's in government, which I won't even go there. I don't have time for that. But when you're pushing against those authority structures, just recognize that you might be pushing against God. And we have to be really careful about that. The second scripture that makes us a lot more accountable for those in authority, Romans 14, 10, kind of B through 12 says this, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now I will tell you right now, that scripture is one of those ones, if I let myself sit in it, causes immense anxiety. Because I understand having to give an account for my own sinfulness, my own struggles. But scriptures teach that I have to give an account for how I led my wife. And did she thrive? Did I lead her well? Not domineer or not be passive, but did I lead her in a way that she could thrive? I got to give an account to that. I got to give an account to how I led my kids. And darn it, I have four of them. Four people to mess up with, right? I also have to give an account as a pastor of this place of how I led this church. Guys, that's scary. I don't take that lightly. None of the pastors that lead this take that lightly. And I understand people have misused all of those positions, but I don't know what it's gonna look like. I know that God's not a shameful guy. He's not gonna like condemn me because I'm saved, I'm salvation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I'm, I'm not looking forward to the account given for all the mess ups that I've done in my marriage, in my parenting, in leading this church with the other pastors. That's a scary verse. And then if you're wondering like, well, what role, how is this supposed to be done? I think the best verse in scripture for anyone who's in authority, any authority, even if you're a boss in your job, if you have any authority, here's how you do it. Ready? 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So you need to, you need to oversight, right? Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain. Too many people have done that. I get it. But eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being, this is it right here, but being examples to the flock. Well, what's the example? You ask, I'm glad you asked. Moving on. And when the chief shepherd, speaking of Jesus Christ, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I and, and any of the leaders or any of the people that are in position are supposed to be an example of what it means to be like Christ. That's what's expected. That's daunting. Great. Set the bar a little high. That's what's expected, to be an example. Not to be domineering, not out of compulsion, but willingly, eagerly modeling after the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. That's what's expected for authority. Okay, I think you got it. Moving on. Submission, the other fun word. Whether it's church leadership, parents, husbands, when a leader that has been placed by God into position doesn't play the role that God intended for them, everyone suffers. We should be very clear on that. Everyone suffers. But when we look at submission as a whole, so often we think we can compartmentalize submission. It's just not possible. It's really, really hard to say, well, I just don't like my boss, so I'm not gonna submit to them. And that to not accidentally bleed itself over into other avenues in our life. Many of us, I'm telling you, I've done this to myself so many times where I've thought like, oh, I'm just not submitting this person. And it almost always, when I peel it back and get someone to work in my heart, I realize, oh, I'm not submitting to God. I have issues. I can't submit this way. It's really hard to compartmentalize. In the scriptures, we see all kinds of submission, all to submit to God. We see that we are to mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We see that husband or wives are to submit to husband, children are to submit to parents. We're supposed to submit to government. Submission is all over scripture, all over. And it's, it's, in, in all its places, it's, it's viewed as a beautiful thing. One of the best examples of submission, I think, would be just where we should start and, and end for the sake of time is Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourself 
which is yours in Christ Jesus. So hey, so, hey, have this mind, which is already yours in Christ. You already have this. Now live in this, think in this, operate in this. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it goes on to talk about how then because of that, God exalted him above every other name and every knee will bow to him, which we already just read in another scripture. Submission is a beautiful thing. Christ had every opportunity to kind of pull the God card out at any moment, but instead didn't. He willingly, joyfully submitted himself walking to the cross. Submission is a beautiful thing. Ultimately, submission starts and shows our dependence on God. If we aren't dependent on God, it's very hard to be submissive. Okay, let's get super practical here in this section, and then we'll move on. I don't have time to hit every single question that maybe has arisen over these, over these last few weeks, but a lot of really great questions have come. When it comes to the manifestation of the Holy Spirit from the perspective of authority and submission, one scholar wrote it this way. I shared this back in chapter 11. I'll share it again. He says, both as humans and Christians, women are completely equal to men in worth, abilities, intellect, or spirituality. Many women are obviously superior to men in abilities, intellect, maturity, and spirituality. God established the principle of male authority and female subordination for the purpose of order and complementation, not on the basis of any innate superiority of men. It's important that we remember that. When it comes to how, I wanna be really clear, hear me on this. If you just look at the lists in 1 Corinthians, Romans, and Ephesians, if you just look, take those lists, again, we know that there's probably other ways, but let's just stay in those lists for a second. I don't believe that scripture says that anyone is not able to manifest the spirit in any of those gifts. Let me say that again. Whether you're male, female, early Christian, child, the spirit will manifest himself in any of those ways. Now, I understand there are a few of them that we have other scriptures that talk about order and authority under it. I'll, I'll bring up one example, teaching. Most people, when they think of teaching, they think of it right here where I'm standing right now. And that is just not true. This is one aspect of teaching. There are people, faithful volunteers, down in the classrooms right now teaching little ones. And I would argue that that's probably a little bit more valuable than what I'm doing most of the time. There are people teaching all different ways. In fact, my wife, she does not believe that God had gifted her with teaching. She didn't feel that way, but got pushed really hard to teach the women's retreat. I listened to the podcast. Let me say this right now. Through the podcast, just on the application alone and the way she spoke, she was 10 times better than anything I've done. <laughs> like she spoke more clearly, wasn't as quick, like finished her sentences and didn't run off like I always do. Like she just did, just did a lot better job than me. And then you look at what God did in the hearts of those women up there and it was profound, it was uncommon and it was a manifestation of the spirit. Jen came back and she doesn't feel like, well, now I have to teach everywhere because the spirit showed me here. She said, no, I feel like God gave me that for this season. I stepped into it in submission and he did a mighty work in that. It'd be wrong for her to say, well, I have to do it in every way, in every way, unless the Spirit's saying, no, I wanna lead you. I wanna do this again. I wanna do this in a different way. She taught and did an amazing job. Debbie Getter, who is our, I call her kind of the grandma of the church. I love her, but anyway, she's gonna hit me for that later. But Debbie Getter is teaching our foundations class, foundational Christian class downstairs. She is doing so by her mouth under the authority of her husband and the elders. We are aware of what she's teaching. It's a very beautiful thing. I would argue it's almost more beneficial than me just blabbing up here. There is a way that God can manifest every single one of these list of things that are in the scriptures through anyone, whether they're male or female. There are just other scriptures that we have to pay attention to that bring about order. One more for fun's sake. I'm gonna pull up Debbie again. One of the offices that are listed in the, in the, the gifts list in Ephesians is 
overseer or shepherd. It's the word for elder. We see overseer, shepherd, and elder, and pastor used synonymously in the New Testament, so it's all one there. So we see in Timothy that, that God has put elder and overseer as male. But I want to be really clear on something, okay? I have watched uncommon things happen in my wife by the way that Debbie has shepherded her. God used that role in her life and did it in a profound way, which I would say in an orderly way that's not contrary to scripture, and it was profoundly beneficial in my wife's life. And so God will use these in any way, shape, or form, which is why it's dangerous to say, I have this gift, because then you kind of limit off to say, well, this is only what I can do. Sorry, I'm not a gift of encouragement. Find someone else for that. Oh, nope, serving. Nope, not interested. I'm busy. I'm over here, you know, speaking in tongues. Like, no, God is going to manifest himself in every single way. Look at Peter. Which one did he have? Watch him in the New Testament. He had all of them. Why? Because it's for the building of the church. It's not about us. And yes, there may be ones that he may use in your life for a continuation for a long time, or you may be that person that's in this small C extension of Christ's church where he says, I'm gonna use this over and over and over again to build this church because it's necessary and it's needed, but all of it's him and his doing. Okay, moving on. When we're submitting to the Holy Spirit and, and looking to be used by him, I say, go for it. Just under the authority of God and the order with which he's set in place. So there have been a number of questions that have come up. Uh, around this. What about when your husband isn't a believer? Uh, should we wait to step? No, step forward in faith. Win your husband over in patience. In fact, there's plenty of scriptures that talk about an unbelieving husband and how to operate with them. Look into those. What if your husband's lazy? He is a believer, but he's lazy. All right, John talked about it last week. Dude, it's time to stop being lazy and step into the role that God has placed you in. You didn't marry this woman to just have a trophy wife. You married this woman because you're supposed to love her like Christ loves the church. That's the expectation. So step into it. These are ways that these things can happen. Um, we had one, uh, another question is, what about single women in church? I think you have the covering of community and church leadership, depending upon what age it is and how it works for your, your family, you're, you're underneath your parents' authority. Obviously, that can change at some point, but ultimately, you have an authority. Move, go, step forward, be eagerly, desire these gifts and move forward in them. Just do so under the dependence of God. What about a young believer? If you're doing it wrong, there is grace. Be repentant. Let's go. Let's start, let's start working on this. Let me just say it this way. Ultimately, at the end of the day, when it comes to the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not only ready, he is already at work. And every single child of God has been given opportunity after opportunity to submit themselves to the order and authority of God and for the Holy Spirit to manifest himself in the most uncommon ways through the most common people for the common good of the church. Moving on to my second point. Whew. Okay, second point. First one is that we're supposed to be dependent. Secondly, so when you, when you step forward, be dependent on God and move forward. Second one is to be bold. I want you to step out and just be bold. Uh, the, the scripture in 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says this, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. This scripture shows us that when we gather, whether it's two or more or a gospel community or in a great big gathered church, that we all have something to offer. So bring it in an orderly way. Be bold. That's what he's saying. Be bold. First way we're gonna do it is by practice, independence and with biblical order. Practice these things. You're like, man, I don't, I don't know what this is. I know I have helps or a service or I feel, like, I feel like God continues to do uncommon things through encouragement. Start doing it. Here, what's the worst that happens? You encourage someone and nothing uncommon happens and they feel encouraged? That's a really good problem to have. Start practicing things. If you're like, man, I don't know if this makes sense. I'm not sure. Ask someone. 
walk with someone, be in discipleship with someone, ask your gospel community leaders, which by the way, we're gonna give them a book in our leader meeting today to help resource them as well. Come to the elders, but be bold. Practice these things with dependence of God and with biblical order. The next one is the multiple ways, same spirit. This one was important to me. Uh, many times when God manifests himself in you and you see something uncommon happen, it's really exciting. Because A, you're like, oh, I finally submitted enough where he could do this and I got out of the way. That's awesome. Like, it's super exciting. But often we try to see it in one way. We try to recreate the circumstance so it can happen in that specific way. The same spirit works in multiple ways. I'm telling you, try and define how prophecy is applied just in the scriptures. It's everywhere in all kinds of different ways. This is how the spirit works. He is going to work as he chooses, as he wills, as he apportions to each one of us. And they will, pair, they will look differently. For one person serving will look this way. For another person serving will look that way. For one person teaching will look this way. Another one teaching will look that way. And it's not a matter of how it's done. It's you just being faithful to God's will. So see it multiple ways, same spirit. The next one in be bold is even if it's not a gift, it's still a command. I felt like I had to put this in here just because I've heard people say this, like I, I heard someone and I love, I love them and I won't, I won't oust them, but I heard them say, well, I'm not, I'm not, I don't really have the gift of encouragement, so you're gonna have to find someone else to be encouraging, except for scriptures command us to be encouraging. <laughs> they do. They, they, in fact, one of the 59 one another's is encourage one another. So there you go. Now you all are on the hook to be encouraging. And here's the thing, just because it may not be an uncommon thing doesn't mean we don't do it. We're still commanded to be kind and love and patient and, and fruitful. All those things are commands of every believer. So just because it's not a command or, not, or it's not a gift doesn't mean that you still aren't supposed to operate in that way. Which at the same point, if you think hospitality is one of your gifts, here's the other way I think you need to think about it. Hospitality isn't just meant for you to be able to have a clean home and make people comfortable at your home. If God has manifested himself in hospitality, wherever there are two or three more, two or more gathered or in a big church, you should be looking for ways to open up the opportunity to be hospitable. If he, is, if he has shown himself in this ways, we should be pursuing it. Be bold, jump, run, go. Why are you still sitting here? No, I'm just kidding. Okay, sorry. Next one, the next, the third part is be loving. Now, you'd think this would be like understood, especially since an entire chapter 13 in the middle of this whole thing was about love. But I think it's really important that we establish this again. First off, if you are most known for anything other than how you are loving, you might be missing the scripture. Let me say that differently. We should be known as loving people. Man, it just, it just ooze out of us. We should be not just love in words, but like chapter 13, you'll have to go back and listen to, but in action. Every single one of those things was in action. We should be loving people. We should be loving people. At the very, very end of it, the whole point of the manifestation of the Spirit is lost without love. Remember, that's what he talked about. It's like, what's the point? They all go away. Everything goes away except for love. So why not step in love? So I wanna give us three, two, three, three ways. <laughs> Three ways that we can be loving of the many lists. The first one is be patient. Now, it's interesting because in, in this section, he, when the love section starts with be patient and it ends with endures all things. So basically bookends all of the actions of love under this idea of forbearance, long suffering. And the reason why I think this one's important as we step out and go, okay, how can I do this? Is someone's gonna mess up. Someone's gonna use it wrong. Someone's gonna, someone's gonna offend you by a, a prophecy that they may have felt like the Lord gave you or someone's gonna try and serve you and you're like, just leave me alone. I didn't wanna be served in this way. Like, we're gonna mess up. We need to be long-suffering with each other. We need to be loving with each other. We need to be willing to, to be patient with one another, to just recognize that that's going to happen. We need to endure hardship with each other. 
as people are learning this, if you've spent your whole life in a church that understands how to use the spirit, the manifestation of the spirit, and you're like, man, I just wanna go. We need to be patient with those that are just learning. If you spent your entire life being in a church that thought that the manifestation of the spirit was just like something that crazy people did, you need to be patient with those crazy people when they step up and start acting. We need to be patient. We need to see God move and do this. It's a command. The next one is be forgiving. The way it was used in ESB is not resentful. It's an accounting term. It essentially just means not keeping record of wrong. I've seen this happen over and over again, specifically around the manifestations of the Spirit, where someone did it wrong. And they, it's like, hey, that's not biblical. Or someone gently rebuked him. They totally received it well. And then I've watched them later on try it again. And, and the person that they're trying it with is automatically displaced them because they did it wrong in the past. We need to not keep record of wrongs. We can be wise, but we need to, we need to know that like when people are, are trying to do this, when they're trying to say, hey, I'm trying to be encouraging, it's like, that was not encouraging. In fact, that was discouraging. Okay, when they come up to you be encouraging, don't cringe. Be like, all right, come to me. Like, trust, if this is what the Lord is showing you through your dependence on him, through prayer and scripture and community and under authority and submission, who am I to stop you from it? Be forgiving. Don't hold record of wrong. And the last one under be loving was be obedient which wasn't in the love section. And I just thought it was really important to put here. And here's why. John 15, 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. That's Jesus speaking. First John 5, 3a says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Guys, you can't separate obedience from love when it comes to God. If we're going to love God, we have to be obedient. And one of the most disobedient things we can do is not seek to unleash and submit ourselves to what the Spirit wants to do in this body of Christ. That would be a very disobedient thing to do. And that is not loving. And God says, you wanna love me, obey, do what I say. Well, one of the things he says is to eagerly, earnestly seek these, to eagerly go after them, to pray for God to do it. So for us to sit on our hands and say, I ain't doing it. It's too outside of my comfort zone. I don't care. All, basically what you're saying is that, you know what? I got better things to do and this body that God has me in isn't that important. It's the reason why, let, let me just point this out. Like we had to close our juniors class for service because we, we didn't have enough volunteers. Guys, in, in a church this size, that, that just shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen. But there's many people here that have the gift or the spirit wants to manifest himself through serving, but you're going, I don't want to do it that way. I only want to do it this way. Are you, are you open-handed? Are you obedient to what God wants from you? The beginning of the manifestation of the spirit in chapter 12, we gave you this visual image about this. Remember this tabletop, this platform area that I said that there's this amazing playground on, incredible playground. Like it's one of the best playgrounds in the world with a big field. And it's just like, it's like even adults are like, I want to go hang out on that. But on the outside of it is a 300 foot straight down drop everywhere. And so you got people that are up there. They're like, throw it long. And you're throwing it long and they're flying off the edge. That's who I would call maybe the people that have ran with the spiritual gifts too far early on. Then you got people that maybe weren't raised in the church of manifesting the spirit and they're literally clinging onto a seahorse or sawhorse or whatever it is because they don't wanna get near the edge because they're so afraid to fall off. Again, what this scripture shows us is that there's a fence so that the person that's clinging going, I've never done this before. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm so scared. Can loosen their grip and can move around because if they're gonna hit anything, they're gonna hit a fence. They're not gonna fall off the edge. And for those that maybe ran a little bit too far, they might hit their head a few times on the fence. But the point is that, that, that we can as believers we can step out in confidence because God has created order and authority that we can fall underneath. 
We just need to remain dependent. We need to be bold. And we need to be loving. This is what it means for us to walk in these things. So, so let's, let's pray for God to do a work. Let's, let's, let's step out in faith to practice these things. Let's submit ourselves to the Spirit and His will and His authority. Let's watch God do something. Because here's what happens. Here's the most beautiful picture. Ephesians says this. When we, when we operate in this way, we display the manifold wisdom of God. With the very color of God, the goodness of God. When we, when we operate inside of submission to the way that the Spirit manifests himself, the world looks at the church and goes, whoa, what is that? Look at the way they serve and they're encouraging and they're helps and there's mercy and there's teaching and there's, there's prophecy and there's, there's all these amazing things happening and all it's doing is building and building and building and building. And what happens is what happened in Acts 2. People look at it and go, I wanna be a part of that. When we choose to not do that, we look like a, a, a church that maybe has some bright spots here or there, but ultimately what speaks loudest is our division and our issues with, with all the struggles of things that may be off. And what the world sees is like, yeah, that place, I mean, I'd love to go there, but that place, they're just, just as divided as the rest of the world. As we're supposed to display this, we're gonna take communion today, which was one of the issues that the Church of Corinth was struggling with. The biggest issue that they had was that they, they weren't, um, taking communion in a, in a God-honoring way. There was socioeconomic classes. They were separating out people and, and it was just not beautiful and they were eating a bunch of food and getting drunk on the wine. It just was not a good thing. And so I wanna just say it this way. Once, when, you, when you step up to the table, it is meant to be a part of, it isn't a meant, meant to be a part of any socioeconomic position or of any race or people group. We come to the table equal in value and image bearers of the most high God. No matter what our background is, we are equal one in Christ. The Lord's Supper must be marked by clear manifestations of unity and concern for others. If you come to communion and you come to this with a willful dissension or divisiveness to someone in the body, you're literally taking what cannot be divided and saying it can be. The, the, the beautiful thing about communion is that it's not that we just proclaim what God has done for us in salvation and sacrifice and all that stuff, but we proclaim what he's gonna do in his kingdom and his kingdom is unified. And so if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you have unrepentant sin, you have unconfessed sin, confess it. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you have divisiveness with another believer, if you have, you have um, unforgiveness or bitterness with another believer, then confess that, be reconciled. And here's the most beautiful thing that I think is always forgotten about that part because we hear that and we're like, oh man, that's so heavy. Now I can't take communion. No, 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 listen, this is the best part. When we are repentant, our sin should drive us to our Savior, not away from Him. When, when we repent, we shouldn't walk up in shame. We should be running in joy that we've been forgiven. Repentance should bring about joy, recognizing that not away from Him. We don't have to run from Him. We can run to Him in repentance. And so the band's gonna come up and we're gonna, we're gonna take communion. But as we do communion, know this, please. You're gonna, you're gonna come up and just take it as yourself or you can take it in your gospel community as your family, whatever would be easiest or whatever you want to do it. Just take it whenever you want, but do it with, with these few things. One is recognizing that you are equal in value to every other believer. You know, man, there's like God, you are made in God's image. You're equal in value. There is no second class citizen in the kingdom of God. We are all equal in that way. And the second thing is that if you have unforgiveness or bitterness or, or dissension. Let me just say this. In, in conjunction to the, the, the message and everything we're talking about, if you want to see the Spirit of God manifest Himself, a lot of times that gets hijacked by us not confessing sin. 
A lot of times the reason why we don't see him moving more, we can't hear him more, is because we have this, this, this darkness that was never meant to be carried. It was supposed to be laid at the cross, at the foot of the cross, so that Jesus paid for it already. I don't know why we're carrying it anyways. And we are still holy and blameless and righteous, not because of anything we've done, but because of what he's done for us on the cross. So if you're, if you're holding onto that stuff, just let me, let me tell you right now, it's hurting you and those around you. It's hurting this body. And it, it may be a really big deal. And I understand there may be a lot of conversations that have to go after, and there may be a lot of reasons for that. But the, if you're going to just apply 1 Corinthians, there aren't supposed to be divisions. And so if you need help with that, whether it's just understanding how to be dependent or bold or loving, we'll have people in the prayer room. You're welcome to take communion anytime. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the ability to the ability to see your spirit work in and through us for his glory and for your glory and for his purposes and not ours. God, I pray that we'd be a body of people that are so submitted to you that the spirit is just blowing up everywhere and people go, I want to be a part of that. God, this room is just layered with a million names on the studs that were written last Easter of people that we want to come and know Jesus. God, I pray that the way that we serve each other, the way that we submit to you, the way that we're dependent on you, God, would drive those people to you. And we come to see many to know your name, to, to claim your name as their Lord and Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.